0: Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support.
1: While we were away from him, he attempted suicide. And it was absolutely shocking. I mean, I will never forget um, that day. I will never forget the emotions of that day, the emotions of that moment when I found out. Absolutely terrifying and absolutely shocking. Truly a blind side that we never saw coming. And I truly believe that Andrew never saw it coming as well.
2: Those are the words of Kayla Steckline, who at one time relished the role of being a mom and a pastor's wife. Until a horrific day just a few short years ago when her pastor husband ended his life. The name of this program is Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He Derek. was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Welcome to Life Support, hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program. And our goal, as always, is to use story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join that conversation with Pastor Paul.
0: So glad to have you along on Life Support. What we do here is we tell stories to help you find a deeper relationship with Jesus Through Suffering and Trauma, and I hope that you're encouraged today. A very special guest with us, Kayla Steckline, is a lady who has an amazing story to tell. She's also written a book called Fear Gone Wild, and we'll talk all about that as well. Kayla, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to sit down and chat with you today.
0: So your story is a hard story. It's a story that uh, many people... Uh, shy away from talking about, but you're willing to come out and talk about it, and I really appreciate that. Can you kind of start us out where you would like in your story to help us give us context, and then exactly what happened, and then we can talk about how Jesus has guided you along through that as well.
1: Sure. Yeah, so about, goodness, about three years ago, uh, three, four years ago, I was living my dream life. I mean, I really had everything i could have ever asked for and hoped for and more I was married to my dream guy, Andrew. We had met in college and fell in love really quick and got married really young. I think I was 21 and he was 22 when we got married. And we just stepped right into the trenches of ministry. He was a PK. He was raised in the church. His parents had started a church when he was three years old. And so we jumped right into ministry together. Um, and a year into that marriage, his his father was diagnosed with leukemia so that was really the first kind of whirlwind for us as a couple and for our family and for our church and um, that that moment really forced Andrew to kind of step up to the plate and take on a lot of responsibility at 23 years old you know he was leading co-leading the church with his dad speaking regularly on Sundays and kind of doing a lot behind the scenes to run the church from a tiny little hospital room in LA while his dad fought for his life for four years. His dad ended up passing away in 2015, and just a few months before, Andrew was handed the official baton of leadership and became the lead pastor of our church. And during that time as well, we were welcoming babies into our home. We had three boys together and life was full. Life was busy. We had been through some really hard stuff. We were still grieving the loss of his dad. Our church was still grieving the loss of his dad, but we were hopeful. You know, we had a hopeful future. Andrew was full of vision. He knew where he was headed. He knew where he wanted to take the church. He was excited and honored to have the opportunity to be the lead pastor, and I loved being a pastor's wife. I mean, I really Loved my life. I was so proud of my life. I loved sitting on the front row on the right-hand side of the room every single Sunday, watching my guy do his thing on stage. And I got to be his wife. It was such a beautiful gift. And then in 2017 is kind of when things started to take a turn. Um, My husband started having panic attacks, seemingly out of nowhere. I started having these very intense, debilitating panic attacks. And they were happening about two to three times a week when he would try to fall asleep at night and it would take over his whole body. This raging fear would take over his whole body. And I could tell just by looking at his eyes that he would be in the middle of a panic attack. He would be gone. His eyes would be glazed over and I wouldn't even be able to connect with him. And we kind of just had to wait him out. And sometimes it would take, hours sometimes it would take all night um, and he was exhausted but he was pushing through and he was still showing up to speak on Sundays and we were seeing doctors trying to figure out what is going on inside of his body to cause these panic attacks and so from about October 2017 until April 2018 he, he wrestled with those panic attacks and we had no idea what was going on and it was in April that he hit this wall And had a massive panic attack that landed him in the hospital. And it was after that that we all kind of decided, you know, enough is enough. Like, this guy is not healthy. He's not well. He's been showing up and pushing through so much. Like, not just the panic attacks, but the season before the panic attacks when his dad passed away. And he didn't take time to grieve. And he just kept working and just kept showing up. And so he loved the church so much. It was very difficult for him to take time for himself. But we all knew that he needed to. And so we put him on the sabbatical. And just a few weeks into his sabbatical, he was diagnosed with depression. And I'll never forget sitting in that psychiatrist's office with him. The psychiatrist looked at me and said, your husband has depression. And I was shocked. I mean, I really was shocked i really didn't see it coming and andrew was relieved he was relieved to have a diagnosis he was relieved to finally know what was causing the panic attacks what was going on inside of his body and he and the doctor were both very hopeful that he was on the low end of the spectrum that he would bounce right back that it really wasn't that big of a deal that with rest and therapy and time off work that he was going to be just fine And so from April to July, Andrew rested and wrestled with depression. And our home wasn't the most peaceful environment to be wrestling with depression. We had three young boys. At the time, they were two, four, and five. Um, So I was really torn between being caretaker to Andrew and mother to our kids. And so a lot of the times, Andrew would just be back in the bedroom, resting Well, i was running around with the boys trying to keep them busy and keep them away from dad so that he could rest Um, but we were really doing everything we knew to get him better he was seeing a psychiatrist every other week he was taking medication we were seeing a therapist for two hours every single week he did solo trips to spend time in solitude we did a two-week road trip just the two of us he went and spent time with mentors like you name it we did it we tried it we were trying to get him better and so By the end of July, we actually thought he was getting better. And so he was released to go back to work. And he was excited to share about what he had been through. So he hit the ground running. He gave two powerful messages on mental illness. He called the series Hot Mess. And at the time, it wasn't something that a lot of pastors were doing. At the time, not a lot of pastors were talking about mental health. It was still even though it was just a few years ago, it was still kind of this taboo topic in the church. And he was willing to go there. He was willing to be vulnerable. He was willing to share that he had been struggling with depression and he talked about depression. He talked about suicide. He gave out the suicide hotline number. He gave out statistics from the NAMI website. Like he knew the facts and he wanted to help people from his own pain. And so headed into the third week, he just had a really bad day. He wasn't fully well. When he was released to go back to work, he told our staff and told our family he was at about 65% and was hoping to ease back into ministry and over time get back to 100%. And so he wasn't fully well. His mind was still broken, had a really bad day that kind of just sent his mental health into a tailspin. And we quickly realized, whoa, 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 whoa this guy is like maybe not ready to be back at work. Maybe he needs more time off. Maybe we need to take some next steps for his healing. And so while we were away from him for just a little bit, taking those next steps and covering Sunday and getting a guest speaker and doing all the things so he didn't have to worry about it, while we were away from him, he attempted suicide. And it was absolutely shocking. I mean, I will never forget um, that day. I will never forget the emotions of that day, the emotions of that moment when I found out Absolutely terrifying and absolutely shocking. Truly a blind side that we never saw coming. And I truly believe that Andrew never saw it coming as well. And so he was rushed to the hospital. Um, they did a bunch of tests. And, and unfortunately, there was nothing that they could do. And so the next day, Andrew took his last breath. And with that, um, I was handed a brand new life as a widow and single mom of three young boys that were two four and five and so this new life I never saw coming so that's kind of where I am today in that new life and rebuilding that life um, and walking out every day with my three beautiful boys.
0: Well thank you for sharing that and I'm very sorry that you've had to uh, deal with this and go on this journey you you talked um, earlier that you were kind of living the dream you know you you um, loved what you were doing um And all of a sudden things shifted and changed. So sometimes the Christian community isn't the easiest place to make those changes because people see you a certain way and expect you to kind of stay that way. Tell me what that was like for you.
1: It was really hard. That part was really hard. Um, I felt like I was pretty isolated in that. I felt like I didn't have a lot of people to talk to. For the majority of my friends, Andrew was their pastor. Most of my friends went to the church. And so I didn't feel like I could be fully honest about what the day-to-day life was like in our home when Andrew was struggling. I wanted to protect him. I wanted to protect his image. I wanted people to see him as strong. I think sometimes mental illness, I think it's changing. I think it's kind of come a long way since then. But at the time, it felt like mental illness and depression and suicidal ideation could be seen as a weakness and could be seen as something that could disqualify you from ministry. And so I think it was hard. It was hard. I I felt a lot of shame. And it was hard for me to talk about it. I think it was hard for Andrew to talk about it as well. I remember one time um, we were on a date night, and I felt compelled to kind of share this depression that we were wrestling with in our home, I felt compelled to write a social media post. And I had written something and I told him, I want to share this and tell people, you know, you've been struggling with depression and we're praying for healing and kind of have people pray with us. Like we need prayer. You need prayer. Like this is really hard. And he told me, no, he didn't want to share that. He didn't want to talk about it. Um, And I'm grateful that he eventually did feel like comfortable talking about it when he did return to work. Uh, But it was, it was like this thing that was hush hushed. And I think it is something that does happen in the church. I think it's hard for pastors to feel like they can show any weakness. I think it's hard for pastors to have space to be human. I think it's hard for pastors to have space to make mistakes. Um, and then I think at the end of the day, what's been so helpful for, for me and for other people to know is that pastors are people too. Pastors are human. They're not superhuman. I think oftentimes we put them on this pedestal and we put all this pressure on them when in reality, they're just as human as the rest of us. They make mistakes just like the rest of us. They're trying to figure it out like the rest of us. And Andrew was still growing. It was such a big role to step into. And there was a huge learning curve. And there honestly wasn't a lot of grace for that learning curve. Um, And so it was hard, you know, I think there was a lot of expectations that people put on Andrew. And I think Andrew put a lot of expectations on himself as well. He never took the Enneagram, but if you're an Enneagram fan, I think he was a one on the Enneagram. I am labeling him (laughs) as a one, but he just had this perfectionistic um, tendencies, this drive for excellence um, that I think made it hard for him to show any weakness. Um, but I know that changed with the mental health that he went through. You know, it, it did kind of open him up um, to be willing to share. And I'm grateful that he did have those two weekends to share. And it was very impactful. So
0: I think as, as a pastor, you are always wondering, how much should I share? How much is too much? How much is too much about me? I'm not here to talk about me. I'm here to, to talk about the cross and Christ. And so not only are you in that sort of middle ground of, you know, how vulnerable should I be, but you don't want to be the focus either. And so I think a lot of pastors keep it inside because they they simply, out of a good heart, uh, don't want to be telling stories about their own life. They want to get onto to the things that they feel, you know, are really important. So those are hard decisions to make when you're up there speaking, and especially for a guy that's that young, that was feeling his way along in a, in a big church. So I'm sure you noticed that as well, those kind of struggles inside of him.
1: You cut out for a minute, so I missed what you said. I'm sorry.
0: I was just saying that for pastors that are trying to um, work through how much to say, how, how much not to say, uh, I don't want this to be the focus about me. I want the focus to be on Christ. And um, I'm sure you noticed some of those struggles inside of him too. How much should he share and how much shouldn't he share? How did he work through that?
1: Yeah. And I think it's gray. I think it's not black and white. I think it's totally gray. And for every pastor, that decision to be vulnerable and that decision to be transparent about what they're actually going through is a difficult decision. And there is a balance in that because you don't want to be telling stories the whole time. You do want to Andrew always wanted um, his messages to be practical. So he wanted people to walk away with like three points, four points, five points of different practical things that they could do with the message. Um, And so I know that was always really important to him. Um, But I, I, you know, what was so neat was that when he was transparent and when he was vulnerable, it was received so well. I would encourage pastors to do that. I would encourage pastors to be vulnerable, to show their weakness, to show their humanity. Um, I think it just is really helpful for people to, you know, feel that me too, you know, like I'm not the only one struggling, like this person that I look up to, this person that, um, in my eyes, is like so close to God and like has this beautiful relationship with God, like they struggle too. Um, so I think it's really powerful when pastors can weave that into a message in a way that's vulnerable and authentic and helpful.
0: We should have everybody, you know, come to my house for at least uh, a few minutes every day to see uh, real life in action. You know, teenagers that aren't in school that are there and so forth. It is a good a reality check. But here you are now. You're 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 dealing with this shock of this thing you never saw. Even though you you saw symptoms, but you never thought it would end up like this. Uh, what was God doing in the midst of all of this? How long did it take you to even be able to 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 think, let alone try to grapple with what God was doing?
1: Mm-hmm. It was a really interesting journey with God through all of it. Um, During Andrew's sickness, during his illness, I felt like God was so distant. I was asking the question, where are you, God? Why aren't you fixing this? Like, here's this man that has served you with his life. We just lost his dad. We just walked through leukemia. Our church has already been through so much. Like, why are you allowing this happen why are you allowing panic attacks to invade his his mind and invade his body and invade his peace why are you allowing depression why are you allowing anxiety why are you allowing this season and so it was this wrestling with God when Andrew was sick and I would spend time in prayer and I felt like God was silent I felt like I was in this desert season of where are you God why aren't you coming through why aren't you fixing this and then Andrew dies and then again, I'm like, really, like, really, God, you're going to allow that to happen after everything that we've been through. And our family is serving you with our life, like, really, you're going to allow our family to lose two men, you know, his dad and him within three years, our church to lose two pastors within three years, like, really, God, really, you allowed that to be filtered through your hands. And so it was this wrestling. But right after Andrew died, I felt. Um, the presence of God, and I saw the hand of God so clearly, more than I have in my entire life. It was like it went from "Where are you, God?" to literally God and everything, everywhere, all of the time. And I think, and I think that's because the veil is thin. I think that's because you know Andrew and I really were one, and Andrew's in heaven, and I'm here on earth, and I still felt so connected to him. And so I was searching for heaven. Everywhere, and I would get lost in a beautiful sunset. I would pull over to the side of the road and feel like I was immersed in heaven, immersed in the Holy Spirit, sitting with God. God kept doing these little tiny miracles um, as well that were just so clear, even for my kids i 'll never forget the day that I told my boys. I waited a week to tell. My kids, I just needed to sit with some child life specialists and figure out how I was gonna do it. I wanted to do it the right way. I also cleared out our home. I wanted what I was sharing with them to match our environment. And so I cleared out his side of the closet. I cleared out his shoes from the garage. We parked his truck on a different property. And I talked to people and wanted to share it the right way. And so that day was the hardest day of, one of the hardest days of my entire life was sitting those three boys down and telling them daddy's not coming home. But right after that conversation, my son, my oldest son, Smith, and I um, sat at the kitchen table and we were coloring in this coloring book that someone had given us for children grieving. And we were coloring. Um, it, they were comparing grief to the process of the caterpillar, that how the caterpillar goes from the egg to the caterpillar to the chrysalis to the butterfly. And it was this beautiful comparison, this beautiful moment of, of coloring that with him. And then it was nap time. And so I went over to the curtains to close the curtains. And there was this little tiny caterpillar at the top of the curtain. And I grabbed the caterpillar and I ran to my son's with I'm like, look, we were just drawing in your coloring book about caterpillars and learning about caterpillars and learning about grief. And we just had this really hard conversation. And look at this, can you believe this? Like the door was closed. The caterpillar should have not been there. We had never seen a caterpillar in a house before and i show my son smith and he says it's a miracle from god so god gave us little tiny miracles that my sons could see and understand and grasp and then huge giant miracles like like the money that came in through the gofundme campaign that that supported me and the boys you know my husband died by suicide and with that there's a you don't get life insurance and so even huge ways like a huge financial provision in small ways like a little tiny caterpillar and so I really felt like God's hand was in everything that he was everywhere and even my closest friends I would sit down for coffee with my friends and they would be crying tears over the goodness of God we would sit at a coffee house just a few weeks after my husband passed away and be crying tears over the goodness of God it was such a a paradigm it was such a paradox it was like this really, really deep pain. And then also this like really, really deep sense of like gratitude and joy at what God was doing um, despite all the loss and pain.
0: Yeah. And I think what you're describing is the the peace that's beyond understanding and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I know that uh, when I've gone through trauma, the Holy Spirit, I, for lack of a better term, just kicks in and, and almost thinks for you. And so that is really a powerful testimony that people that are suffering right now can take to heart and say, you know, God is working. You may not feel it at the moment, but God is still with you. And you experience that, it sounds like, in a, in a major way. I so, did.
1: It was really powerful. You know that verse, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and comforts those who are crushed in spirit? I mean, that. I had that plastered on my fridge, and I felt that. Every single day, I felt like God was so close walking this out with me.
0: So tell me about the book, Fear Gone Wild. What prompted you to to put all of this down on paper and publish it?
1: Yeah, so that honestly was such a huge God opportunity as well. Um, I had this desire a few years prior to write a book. Um, in my quiet hours in the morning with God, I felt this prompting to write a devotional. And I remember sharing it with my husband at the time, like, hey, I think like one day I want to write a devotional. We had had this um, family kind of brand called God's Got This that we had started when his dad had gotten sick in 2011. We made wristbands and had a website and had a blog. And so my thought was like, maybe like a God's Got This devotional one day. And then um, Andrew's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Like one day, that would be awesome. Probably not right now. Our life is so full and so busy. Got these three young boys, but one day, awesome. And so I had God had planted the seed um, and this desire to write a book one day and then Andrew passes away and I just start writing. I mean the words just started flowing and we already had that blog set up as a family and so I was just sharing what I was learning through that God's got this blog and and me sharing that kind of caught the attention of different agents and publishing companies and authors and so I had people reaching out to me left and right saying, Hey, if you ever want to write a book, I'd love to help. Hey, I'd love to connect you with my agent. Hey, I have this, you know, so it just all all the doors were opening. And so I really felt like there was just this prompting from God that, like, this is what I'm God couldn't have made it any clearer that that was the next right step for me. Um, and so I just walked through the open doors and the ideas came and the inspiration came and I wrote the proposal and it happened. And so it was honestly one of the most healing um, pieces of my journey. And I'm so grateful that I did it from the place of pain. I know oftentimes people say it's best to write from the scar. um, But for me, it really was so helpful for me to write from that place of pain while everything was still so fresh, while I was feeling those real raw emotions. And so I started where the story started. I started with the panic attacks and I talk about panic attacks and I talk about depression and I talk about isolation and I talk about suicide and I talk about grief. And it really was helpful for me to go back into my story and kind of see it from a 360 uh, point of view. Like, what did it, what did the room look like? How was I feeling? How was Andrew feeling? What was that conversation like? What was God doing in that moment? What was I learning? Um, And then trying to help the reader, I didn't want to just share a sad story. I also wanted it to be helpful. And so throughout the book, I also give practical, helpful handles. Like, what do you do when someone's having a panic attack? What do you do when someone tells you they're struggling with suicidal thoughts? What do you do when the depression diagnosis comes? How do you get out of isolation? What do you do when somebody dies by suicide? How do you walk out grief? How do you walk out grief with God? How do you still have hope um, when you've lost everything you ever wanted? So it was really powerful for me personally. And honestly, I wrote it for my kids. Um, I wrote it for my boys so that one day when they're older and they have more questions, that they'll be able to sit down and read the story from the beginning. And my hope and my heart behind it is that it will give them empathy and compassion for their dad, that they won't see the suicide as something that their dad chose, but they'll have empathy and compassion and see that their dad was sick and that he really fought hard to stay.
0: Well, the book is called Fear Gone Wild, and um, I, I'm so thankful, Kayla Steckline, that you've spent some time with us today. We're going to have you back next time, too. I've got a whole bunch of more questions. Your story is powerful, but thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor.
0: Kayla is right. God is always working, and he is with the brokenhearted. And if you right now are suffering, if you're in pain, if you don't know where to turn, know that God is with you and that he will never forsake you. He has promised that and he is good for his word. And I'm so glad that you've joined us on Life Support. Thanks for spending some time with us. I want to thank our fine partners at Faith Radio and you can check us out at MyFaithRadio.com and you can see a video version of this at FiveStoneMedia.com Check us out here at Ridgewood Church as well at MyRWC.org and thanks so much for listening to Life Support.
2: Life Support is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota.
0: Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support.